Alright, alright, alright. Who's ready to get naked? Welcome to the Let's Get Naked podcast, where we strip down all the layers of insecurity in order to have open and honest conversations about all things surrounding love and money. We're your hosts, Ama and Saeed Shabazz. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Let's Get Get Naked, part two uh, with Ayende and Rashida Lukman. So uh, let's uh, let's just hop right right back into these questions. It's going to get a little harder. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go. Okay. So uh, I think this is going to go to Rashida. So we wanted to know, like, what talks have you had with your children as far as, like, the current climate and the work that their father does? Well, mainly the 10-year-old. We have a 10-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old. So a lot of our deeper conversations come with our 10-year-old son, Adisa. And he is extremely aware of things that are going on um, and even race relations and a sense of knowing that people um, like knowing the history of this country and slavery mm-hmm. and how um, people have systematically done things to, to keep people back, keep black people down and not let them progress. So right. he's very aware and very um, proud of his black culture, especially if you know his granddaddy, African right. ancestry and all that good stuff. So with my Iende being a police officer, you know, it is that line because like I, you know, he's told me we don't really like cops. And I'm like, yeah, but that's why daddy's a police officer, um, because you know, they are needed in times of me, like there is a need for them if right. it's done the right way. And so he's asked about like, what happens if daddy gets in trouble because like someone does something bad. Right. And then, you know, cause he sees all the stuff on the news. Um, right. And I think that's when we really kind of lean in on faith. And it's like, at the end of the day, you can't control what no one else does or does to you or thinks about you. Right. Um, as long as you focus on and know that you did the best thing that you can do. Cause at the end of the day, that's all you can really hope for is make sure that your intentions are good and pray that everything works out. And typically it will, if your heart's in the right place, because if not, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to control so many unknowns and worrying. Cause I worry a little bit about him getting in trouble out there. Do you, um, do you prepare your children in a certain way? I am day like knowing, you know, both sides of the situation. Do you, you know, you're raising black men, black boys. So do you prepare them in a certain way? Right now, I haven't had a lot of in-depth conversations. Um, I more or less, I pick up on certain things that my son says. Um, He might make a comment and I'll kind of give a response to it so that there is balance. Because I think sometimes the media might portray certain things one way. And me knowing what I know, sometimes I might have to tell him, well, do you know the whole story or are you only going off of what others have said or what you've seen? So I try to just provide balance without inundating him with, you know, oh, the police are great. They're good. I'm a cop. You can trust me because I do want him to have his own impression of what the police are without you know, trying to sugarcoat it just because I am a cop. But we have talked to him about uh, when they shot those people, shot that brother uh, when he was running in the wrong neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So, so, right. But that wasn't, those weren't cops, though. Yeah. Um, well, one was a former cop, right? Yeah. Yeah, was one, one, yeah one used to be a cop. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, situations like that, he made a comment. And so then I addressed it. I try not to just, you know, out of the blue, hey, we need to talk about, I know we're going to have those conversations sooner rather than later. Once he gets a little older and he's kind of not under our wing as much, um, Mm -hmm. because again, I want to prepare him for the world as an African-American man. Mm -hmm. Um, But right now I'm not trying to necessarily just dampen his whole world by just throwing everything out there. I do. 
I was just about to say, like, we this videos of cops beating up low black kids. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm more on the other side of trying to make sure, like, yes, I mean, because he gets angry. Like, he really does get angry and upset. Like, this makes no sense. And it's like, it's fine to be angry, but trying to bring it back to, like, what can you do to make this better? Like, I swear, Deez is probably going to be a politician. Like, I, I've said that since he was little. And I'm like, you think about things that you want to change because your anger isn't going to get it to change. It's you figuring out a way to, one, be a better person, call people out when they do you wrong. Like, this is not me that you have to shut up because you're scared about what someone's going to do, but also be aware of your surroundings and know that everyone does not have your best interests at heart. And right. you can do absolutely nothing and someone can still have a problem with you. So right. like, no, you, you are careful. And I don't even think it's with that. I don't even put it in a race or a police setting. It's period. When I go to the gas station, whether I'm in Buckhead or on Bankhead, I lock my doors. I keep my keys. So it's just being aware of your surroundings and knowing that there aren't there are some people who aren't good in this world. Period. Okay. Uh, in 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 the words of uh, as I had to say, uh, trust in a lot with Tyre Campbell, right? Tyre Campbell, exactly. Uh, um, I do you ever feel like you have to pick sides um, as a cop? Like you know when. <laughs> It's like you're either a black man or, you know, you're, you're for black or you're for blue. Yeah. Like, do you ever feel like you have to pick sides or how does, how do you navigate that? Not necessarily in my current setting. I think if you ask pretty much any of my uh, coworkers, they kind of see me as the more radical person. There have been plenty of times where we're discussing current events or discussing historical um, situations and I'm the first person to say, nah, that's not how it went. <laughs> or, you know, if we're going to have a conversation about, you know, protest, right? We're going to have a conversation about why these people are protesting. In recent news, uh, just to give you an example, two sheriff's deputies were shot out in LA. Yeah. Um, I think in the Compton neighborhood. And, you know, the sheriff, went on record saying that he uh, wants LeBron James to uh, put up some money, reward money to find the shooters uh, or the shooter. And, you know, we were having discussions about it back and forth, and I thought it was a pretty crass thing for him to do, especially since his department was the one who uh, some of his deputies leaked photos of Kobe Bryant's crash site. You know, um, not to mention you know, when you look at some of these cities and these counties where these things are happening, there's a lot of history, a lot of bad history between black and brown communities and the police. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things to me don't exist in a vacuum. I hate the fact that these two officers got shot. I don't know why. And when I see stuff like that, I'm always asking myself, like, what would possess somebody to go up to a cop and, and shoot someone? Because that's pretty much a, a death sentence. You know what's going to come after that. And right. I hate it for that neighborhood because now all those cops are on edge. All the people walking around there are on edge, even more edge, and they probably were dealing with police now. So you have this climate of distrust that's uh, just, you know, it's like a powder keg now. Any little thing is going to set either side off and it's just going to get worse. So, no, I don't. I, try not to pick size. I try to give context to certain things as best I can. Obviously, being an African-American man, when I'm having these conversations, I can say, hey, well, what would you do in that situation, even if you weren't a cop? And I can kind of talk things out then. And then when I'm, you know, among my police uh, friends or whatnot, I'm giving a whole lot of context because a lot of people don't understand what COINTELPRO is. They don't understand you know, that the police in a lot of these cities were used to basically beat down on the community. They don't understand the ramifications of uh, stop and frisk in New York. Right. Uh, they just don't, un all they see is, oh, we're police, this is what we do. It's like, no, you don't have to live in these communities. You don't have to feel the effects of, you know, them passing crime bills and now, okay, we're the ones enforcing all this stuff. 
And now these African-American men predominantly are being taken out of the home. You know, and now we're dealing with the kids of these men who don't have fathers in the home and they're out here doing all this other stuff. And people want to, are quick to say, oh, well, where are the fathers? Well, hell, you locked them all up. Right, right. What, 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 yeah. like, you know, there's, there's not enough historical understanding of the things that we do in policing. And so when I'm in those rooms and I have an opportunity to talk about it, I, I say something because I'm just not going to allow, you know, ignorance essentially um to just be promoted as uh correctness if you will hmm. so do you ever feel the pressure to um to support your fellow officers even when when something bad has gone on like do you ever feel that because there was a gentleman what was that guy's name the cop that got um fired for speaking out against um oh yeah George Floyd. George Floyd. He spoke out um, against that. Thank you very much, Rick. But and then he lost his job. So mm-hmm. it's like if you say anything against other police officers, whether they're right or wrong, like you know what I'm saying, it's it's yeah. there's repercussions. Do you yeah. ever feel that pressure? No fraternity, the police fraternity. Yeah. I guess you could say yes and no, because so because we're not like so for me. If I'm not there, I didn't see it. I didn't experience it. And we kind of do that all the time anyway as just human beings. We don't we don't necessarily want to critique somebody when we weren't in that position. We weren't mm-hmm. there. We didn't get all the factors, right? That's something that's big in policing. Don't Monday morning quarterback somebody. And I push back on that narrative a little bit because I don't think it allows us if the first thing we say is, oh, we, won't, we don't want to critique this person because we weren't there, well, it doesn't allow us any type of environment to think about, hey, will we do that same thing or could we do something differently? What are our options here? And now we're allowing our minds to think about alternatives to what this person just did if we ever get into that situation. And so I think sometimes you have to frame it like that versus, okay, we're just going to come out and criticize somebody. Because, and and I don't know how much you've seen, sometimes we get videos that come out and it's a very small aspect of what actually happened. And it looks terrible. And then more information starts to come out, more videos, more angles. And then we start to see, okay, maybe it's not necessarily justified, but it's more information than I had before. So I think some people are hesitant to say something at first, at least police officers. And then some people are just, they're just so pro-police, they're going to say, oh, no, they're fine. They, whatever they did was right. I believe them. And they don't even have all the evidence. So they don't have all the information. They're just so, you know, pro-police that <laughs> you can see the most egregious thing happening. You really don't need anything else. And it's like, no, they, they were perfectly fine. I understand what they were doing. My, my question is, uh, and I, I get that. But I feel like that's a that's a a courtesy or a privilege that police get that us as civilians don't because no, we come yeah. in yeah. like, well, did you see it? Like, yeah, but I didn't see everything. But just tell us what you saw. Like, they don't but, care about everything. They just want. And it's like, well, how is that fair? Like, yeah. how how are you guys able to say, oh, well, I didn't see everything, so I'm going to reserve a judgment. But when it comes to convicting somebody or getting a confession out of somebody, the police don't need everything. Low key, they just want you to say whatever is going to help. From, yeah, from my experience, yeah. like I've seen people get pinched and they come out like, "Man, it was asking all types of crazy stuff," and I feel yeah. like they told me to say this, and it's like, "Damn!" So, where is the consideration for civilians if the cops are hold to that that same standard? Well, I can tell you from my experience, most police officers probably aren't going to take that consideration, and I think from a civilian standpoint, it comes with knowing your rights, knowing what you can and don't have to say in certain situations. Um, I'm a little different. I like to explain out everything I'm doing, uh, why I'm doing it. I don't really have anything to hide. Most people, if they're guilty, in my experience, they're going to pretty much tell you that by the questions. When I ask the questions, they're going to give me certain answers. 
And a lot of times when I'm doing something, I'm kind of going into it with the mindset of, okay, I know what just happened or I have an understanding of what just happened. And now I'm trying to prove it. But you as a civilian or somebody who is not a police officer, you have to understand that in most situations, you don't have to give up a lot of information. There are, and again, that depends on what state you're in. Um, There's certain states where you do have to identify yourself if a police officer has a reasonable amount of suspicion that you might have committed a crime, been involved in a crime. That's yeah, reasonable. Great that's a great <laughs> See, reasonable see that's, that, that's, a court term. that's a court term, right? It's based on the police officer's uh, perception. It's not based on the person that they're interviewing's perception. So it's, it basically, it's, it basically so it's, means that if, if you went to court and you got 12 jurors, with my actions and my thought process based on all the information that I knew be deemed reasonable, objectively reasonable, right? These are all, you'd be hard pressed to find a hard set uh, rule that spells out exactly what that means, but it's something we're taught in the academy. Um, Again, reasonable suspicion and probable cause. all I need technically is reasonable suspicion to detain you, but mm-hmm. to make an arrest, I need probable cause. That's a, a, a slightly higher standard. So let's say, for instance, to give you an example, um, and we see this all the time, I'm on patrol and I get a call about uh, someone robbing a liquor store. They give out a very vague description. African-American male, red T-shirt, black pants. Mm-hmm. That could be a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was on purpose. <laughs> Wardrobe things. Costume things. So, 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 yeah, that, that could be a lot of people depending on yeah. where I'm at, right? right so, right. again, if that's, if that's all I have, right, and we're talking about, you know, robbing a convenience store, robbing a liquor store, that's a felony. Now, I see a brother walking past me who matches that description. But the only description I have is black male, red T-shirt, black pants. Mm-hmm. I don't get anything more specific than that. Maybe what color shoes he's wearing, if he has a beard, if he has glasses, you know, does he walk with a limp, anything like that. So for me to make that stop on that person that I see, that's reasonable, articulable suspicion. Okay. I just got a call, whether it came from the store owner or, you know, somebody else in there. They said, this is what they have. This is what they saw. At that point, I'm making the stop on the person that I see based on those factors. I don't know anything else. Mm-hmm. I want it, it would it would behoove me to if this is not the person that I'm looking for. I need to hurry up and prove that so I can get to the person that I'm actually looking for. You are looking for, yeah. Right. And I think sometimes, because we've seen videos of brothers getting stopped, and I empathize with that. If you stop me and said, hey, you matched the description of some way off crime, I already know how I'm going to feel. I'm going to be pissed. Like, why yeah. did you stop? Why are you stopping me? And I hate it because I feel like the best possible option in that situation is just, you got to remain calm because I already know how most people are going to look at that situation. If you, if I'm, if I'm getting all agitated as a person who just got stopped by the cops, most police officers in my experience are not trained to say, okay, this guy's telling the truth right. based off that's of those actions. Problem. And that's, that's, that's the problem is that people act like being a police officer is just like you're serving the community or like you're doing your, patriotic duty or whatever like no they need real training like all this stuff that you're talking about is not some oh i just graduated high school i want to be a police officer you need psychological training like there needs to be a lot of educational stuff because it's interpersonal like you have to know how to read people and i feel like it should not be on the individual to bring it down or calm themselves down. It's like it should be on the police officers because you're the one in the position of power. That's, it's like that's me right. being I'm a manager at my job and a staff is going off cussing me out. I can't go off and be like, da-da-da-da-da. Right. Exactly. to know better. 
I'm supposed to do better. I'm supposed to de-escalate. I'm supposed to show you how we're supposed to act. I'm <clears> supposed <throat> to make sure that this situation ends up appropriately, not the other way around. No, right. I, I agree. The, is there the that issue, training, though, for, for police officers? So, like, so, what? So, what so that, would be my, that would be my point, point, right? So there is only so much de-escalation training that's going to teach you how to deal with somebody who is just, what the hell are you doing in my face? Cussing you out, telling you, get go away. There's only so much training that's going to prepare you to deal with that. Again, for me, because I understand how somebody is going to act, I simply try to talk it out. We have a concept that's called verbal judo, where I'm simply saying, hey, this is what it is. This is why I'm stopping you. If you are indeed not the person that I'm looking for, I want to prove that. This is the way I have to go about doing that. Can you cooperate with me so I can get you out of here? That happens a lot. But for some people, it's not enough. And then that's when you start to see, okay, well, because you're not being cooperative with me, I have to take it a step further. Because again, I don't know that you're telling me the truth. I want to believe you. But again, if I'm going to believe you, I have a certain, I have a set standard in which I can prove this to you or prove it to, you know, whoever. And so I need you to cooperate with that aspect of it. But everybody's not willing to do that sometimes. The thing about policing um, and the, the language that police use is, one, you all don't seem to listen. You all, and I'm saying you all very generally. I'm not saying yeah. because I know you and I know that you're an actual listener, right? Yeah. Listen and respond. Cops, you'll tell them something. They'll just repeat what they said. It's like, is this an automated system with you? Are you a human, bro? Like, I just told you. Sir, yeah. I, it's like, whoa, first off, like, I feel like you're, you're trying to build it up and I just want to talk to you. Sir, last time, whoa, you get so it's like you sound like a computer, and no matter what I say, you know what you were going to say, which yeah. is last time. And it's like, damn. So, because I've, I've, I've been in a situation where it was like, okay, officer, what's the problem? Uh, give me this, this, and okay, I understand that, but why did you, sir? I'm going to ask you again. It's like, yo, I'm asking you a question. Are you walking yeah. on me? Like, yeah. can you have a conversation, please? And it was just, it, it seemed very robotic and, and detached. And it was like, yes. it no matter what I say to this dude, he's held in on giving me this ticket or whatever. Here, bro, just here. I, I was going to ask you, were you uh, getting pulled over when that happened? Yep. Okay. So you were you were getting pulled over on the side of the road, side of the highway or something like that? Here we go. Here we, let, let's, let's, I'm going to wipe that off. I got one from college. I'm across the street. I see a friend of mine coming out the club. I'm yelling. It's like we outside the club. I yell something. Hey, what are we about to go? Just go shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we talking jump back and forth. I'm like, whatever, man, F you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I know you. So we, we laugh, you know, laugh, argument back and forth. And the cop goes, uh, sir, you need to uh, bring, tone that down or something. I'm like, bro, first off, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my friend across the street. Like, no matter what you think it is, this is my homie. We're cool. He's yeah. like, hey, you better shut up for the cop to have you. I'm like, man, shut the hell up. He goes, sir, again, I'm like, dude, you ain't say nothing to her. Why are you harassing me now? Like, now you're coming at me specifically. And I'm talking to somebody. We're going back and forth. He goes, well, if you, if you don't dial that back, I'm going to have to arrest you. I'm like, my dude, how did you even get there? Because I'm still trying to have a conversation with you about why you front me about me talking to my friend. So mm-hmm. stuff like that. I get the club environment is a hostile environment, but you can't you can't paint me with the same brush with a criminal because I'm just talking to a friend who, who I got a class with. You want to arrest a student for talking loud outside yeah. of a club? A lot you of people get off on the whole power trip because there is a lot of power yeah. that comes yeah. with you know, what we're able to do. I mean, when you think about it, you know, the Constitution allows us to basically stop your freedom. When we stop you, tell you, hey, you can't move anywhere. We've essentially stopped your freedom to to move, you know. Um, And I think some people do get off on that whole understanding. And any type of slight or any type of pushback against that, it's, well, I'm in a position of authority. You have to do what I say. And people can't think about the fact that, okay, you just stop somebody. They don't want to be stopped. That's a, that's a reasonable feeling, right? And so you have to understand that that's kind of going into, you know, somebody's behavior as far as how they're responding to you wanting to stop them. And I think about that when I, you know, for the times I do stop people or pull them over. Because I've had a few times where, you know, I pull brothers over and I'm walking up to the car and I see their handshake. Right. Mm-hmm. And people can interpret that a number of different ways. 
you can interpret that as a threat. Oh, this guy's nervous. He's about to do something. Or he's a brother who just got pulled over by a cop. He doesn't know what's about to happen. So I do allow my mind to think about that. I'm still thinking about my safety because, again, I don't know what somebody wants to do when I walk up to a car. I don't. But I'm also thinking about, okay, how would I respond if I'm getting pulled over? Um, And, yeah, it comes down to empathy. It comes down to putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And it also comes down to having, you know, historical and cultural knowledge of, you know, what what it means to be black in this country. Um, Again, I'm still in the position where I'm going to protect myself. And if I see something that gives me pause, I'm going to take a step back and, you know, reanalyze the situation. But at least, you know, knock on wood, I think I would at least question what I'm seeing and not just assume, okay, this person's trying to threaten me. I'm just going to, you know, look at it from a situation of, okay, he's probably nervous. I just pulled him over. That's a reasonable, you know, behavior to have, a reasonable fear to have. And just talk it through, you know, give, try to reassure people as much as I can. And I've done that, you know, it's like, hey, this is no big deal. I'm just going to check your information out, get right back to you. Some cops, I, I will say this, the people that I work with are great about that. Obviously, I work in a somewhat of a bubble when it comes to the, the greater uh, society that we live in. We don't right. have a whole lot of crazy stuff passing through, but any day of the week, we could have something. And I've dealt with some situations where I have had to draw my gun and I'm wondering, okay, is this the day I'm going to have to use it? Or I'm having to put my hands on somebody and say, okay, this can go sideways. I need to gain control of this person. Um, it doesn't happen as often as it would if I work for a municipality or for a county. But again, when this stuff happens, you're sweating, the adrenaline's rushing, you feel, you know, a little nervous, a little, just a little scared, you know, because you don't know what somebody's going to do, you know. Two questions. One, at what point, why is a gun an option when there's so many other tools on the belt that won't that aren't lethal, that won't kill somebody, one. Uh, and then the second question is, black code and policing, have you seen that? Um, when you say black code, what do you mean? Yeah. So, great question, I'm glad you asked. So black code meaning like, um, there are certain rules in, or certain targeted people or communities. And I know you, you work, uh, you do more um, uh, collegiate, uh, campus policing, mm-hmm. but you still had to go through the academy, same as everyone else. So in your training, did you see anything that it may not have been blatant, you know, blatantly targeting black and brown people, but you know, mm-hmm. the language sagging pants, mm-hmm. backward hats, mm-hmm. jewelry, mm-hmm. you know, okay. what things, cues in there that you notice like, damn, it sounds like my people. Okay. Um, I'll answer the second question first. No, I never heard anything like that in training. Again, being who I am, I probably got kicked out of the academy because I'm not about to sit here. And, nah, we're not, we not going to do that. Okay. Um, now, what I have heard from people who've had experiences at other departments, um, you would have things like, okay, we're going to write tickets and enforce traffic on a particular side of town mm. versus another part of town. Now, who lives in this side? Who lives in the other? Right. Okay. We'll see things like that. And that's, you know, out here in Georgia, in DeKalb County, predominantly black county. You know, you'll see you'll see more police presence in predominantly black communities. And, you know, the rub for that will be, well, there's more crime there. Right. That that will be, you know, what what the excuse or the reasoning that is put out there. It's more uh, crimes if y'all there arresting people. But you people in Buckhead. You will find a whole lot of crime there and arrest them. Yeah, you know, it kind of, you know, depends on what you're looking for and where you're looking for. To answer the first question, so obviously if you, if a firearm is deadly force, okay, that is what it's used for, its primary function. There are certain instances where you might see an officer draw their weapon because there's some type of uncertainty going on. Whenever I have to clear a building, so let's say uh, an alarm goes off uh, somewhere, a burglary alarm, and now I have to clear a building, 
Um, there are times when I've drawn my gun, especially if it's dark. And there are other times where I haven't drawn my gun and I might just have my hand on my hip. And then there's also what we call a low ready position, right? So basically if I have a firearm, I'll keep it pointed towards the ground. I have it out of the holster, but I have it now pointed towards the ground. And one of the reasons you do that is because you might feel like you have to deploy it fairly quickly. Yeah. And going from here to here is a lot quicker than going from here out to there. It's basically you skip that first step. So essentially, some people might keep it here because, again, if I've come up to a car, I got it stopped. I'm about to walk up, talk to the driver. I suddenly see the driver take his hands from the steering wheel. And now he's dropped it down towards his lap or dropped it down towards the floor or somewhere where I can't see. You get certain indicators that somebody might be going for some type of weapon. We know people keep guns in their cars. So an officer might take the weapon out and keep it here because, again, they don't know what they're walking up to. Or you might be dealing with a person who, okay, they're talking to you. They're standing still. We can see their hands. I've told them to show me their hands. All of a sudden, they start making what's called a furtive movement. And a furtive movement is when you basically put your hands in places or in positions that, from my training, knowledge, and experience, tells me that somebody's going for some type of weapon. If you've ever carried a weapon around, most people keep it around their waistband. Some people will keep it on their ankle or in the side of the back or you know wherever. But typically, it's somewhere here on the waistband where they can reach it fairly quickly. So Mm -hmm. when you see those quick movements or, you know, you see somebody reaching towards there, we're trained to respond to that and look at that and interpret that as, hey, that's danger. Now, again, that doesn't mean not every time somebody's about to come out blasting. But if I see that movement and I've already said, hey, let me see your hands or even if I have it. I'm probably going to have my my weapon either here or I'm going to have my hand here. Now, again, we've seen situations where somebody pulled their weapon and pointed at somebody and wasn't justified. You know, um, don't so, let anybody tell you that cops don't get scared. Cops get scared. I was They're just human beings. So, OK, now I get that. Cops are human beings. Yes. But cops yeah. are human beings with the with the utility belt of Batman. Yes. Well, Batman don't kill nobody. You guys got all yeah, this training, yeah. you got all this equipment, and Batman the most deadly one. Hold on, and the most <laughs> deadly one is one that you go to every time. If you got mace, yeah. listen, the dark room, the fire, the uh, uh, alarm going off in the home, all of those. I get you're going into a place unfamiliar. If you're yeah. walking up on somebody, if you're coming into somebody else's space, you have no right to come to them, willing to harm them, and you're walking up to them. You know what I'm saying? And then That's your job is to pay attention to signs. But if you don't know me and mm-hmm. I got a bad hip or something just bit me and my yeah. name is I, but I, I'm now like, can I respond? Because because you on edge because you're scared, but I'm yeah. a human being. You pulled up on me and I didn't ask for you. So no, got you, got, you. You, got, you got mace, you got a taser, you got a, you got a bat. Uh, you probably got a, a bat signal down there too. You have all of these tools to subdue somebody without killing them. You could blind yeah. me. You can tase me. I'm, you know what I'm saying? All these things you have, but why is the gun so readily used all the time? If you put out your taser, if you do use the gun, though, why not? Why? Why does it always shoot to kill? You get what I'm saying? It's trained to shoot center mass. So yeah, we we don't in policing. It's not trained shoot to kill. You shoot to stop a threat. Okay. Um, A lot of these cops are marksmen. Then. No, most cops can't shoot. No, most. So, all right. So here's some firearm stuff, right? So we regularly do annual training where we have to fire our weapons and we have to um, score a certain uh, amount on the test that we take. Um, It's called a standard qualification course, SQC is what they call in most states. Think of it as pristine conditions, right? We're shooting paper targets. We have a certain amount of time. You know, typically we do this in pretty good weather. You know, it's not a whole lot of uh, anxiety, anything like that. When you're out on the street, and again, I haven't been in a situation where I had to fire my weapon. 
But when you actually go back and study shootings and you actually talk to people who've been involved in shootings, you can be a perfect marksman on, you know, just a course, go to the range, do all the practice. When you actually have to fire your weapon in real life, your the percentage goes completely down. Let's say 15 yards away, I hit 10 out of 10 when I go to the range. When you actually have to shoot in real life, you have to think about the adrenaline that's rushing through your body. You're, you're, you're getting choked up. You've narrowed in on exactly what's about to happen. So you don't even see everything. You have tunnel vision, essentially. So your marksmanship, as they might call it, drops down to, you know, the teams, essentially. So when, they, so when you have this concept of stopping the threat, because your percentage is going to drop in a real-life firefight, you aim for the part that is most prevalent on a person's body, the part that you can see the most. And that's everything in here, center mass. Oh, mm-hmm. if in, in, a, in a situation where, yeah, somebody's firing back on me or I think that they're about to fire back on me, I don't have the time to sit there and say, okay, I'm about to line up my sights, make sure the, the weather's perfect. I'm, all right, I'm ready. You're out there doing it, right? And sometimes we can train for certain things. There are certain drills that you can do where you have to respond and shoot quickly, but there's absolutely nothing that can train you for being in a real firefight like that. And again, we talk about making split-second decisions. That That is... Sometimes that's the worst part of seeing these shootings because it's that one second where, man, I wish they would have just taken a half a second to see that this guy was not a real threat. Or because we've seen police officers get shot because they didn't recognize that, okay, that guy was a real threat to you and you didn't recognize it because you took too long. It's a There's a whole science behind it. I'm definitely not the person equipped to talk about it in detail. But, you know, uh, I've seen plenty of videos. Um, again, I haven't been in a sit. Well, I've been in one situation where for a split second, I thought I wasn't going to have to use my gun. Um, oh, you mean when that guy? Um... Yeah, I was. Um, I can talk about that. I think the uh, statue of limitations. Don't get, don't get in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm good. Let, um, let me go into that. Let me... <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it was a call about. Um, couple of guys in the parking deck and they were pulling on um, door handles. So that to me says, okay, they probably are looking to break China. into the cars. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, get over to the parking deck and I'm walking, trying to see if I can locate them. And as I'm walking, I see two guys in, in the front of a car looking back towards me. We make eye contact and then they drop their head in the car. I'm like, okay, this must be them. So I get to a position of cover and I get on the radio and telling everybody what I have. About the same time that I'm doing that, I see both the doors open. Now, again, we go back to the whole danger aspect. Okay. I don't know what these guys are going to do. I I don't. So you have to think about it from a, if you don't know, if you don't know exactly what somebody is about to do, but you have a concept in your head of what people typically have on them or what they're typically might do in certain situations. So we have somebody breaking into a car, right? I don't know too many people who break into cars who don't have tools on, right? Uh Uh And the people who typically break into cars are felons, right? And there are a lot of felons who keep weapons on. So because you have all of that uncertainty and there is a, a, a certain amount of danger in handling those calls, a lot of people are going to go to their weapon because that is the ultimate tool to stop some type of threat like that. So for me, I took a position of cover. I drew my weapon. Again, I kept it in a low rate because, again, I don't know what I have, but I want to be prepared for it. I wouldn't necessarily pull out my taser because... My taser is for a more of a threat for, say, somebody right in front of me, somebody I'm dealing with one-on-one. I'm not Mm going to pull out my OC spray because that only works within a certain range. And again, I've created distance. I don't know what they're about to hop out this car with. Can't do my baton because a baton is actually used as a defensive tool. It's supposed to be used as a defensive tool. 
I can't just run up to somebody and start beating them with a baton. They have yeah. to be attacking. And I, We've yeah. Seen that yeah. Though. We've seen That's that how it's supposed though. to be. <laughs> okay. So I took my weapon out, kept it in the low ready. And I see these, well, I did that once I saw the doors open. And so then I'm peeking, I'm, I'm standing behind a minivan. I peek around the minivan. And again, I'm expecting something to happen. These guys take one look at me with my weapon. I give them commands to stop. They take off running. I'm like, okay, these guys don't want to get caught, clearly. Holster my weapon, I start giving chase. Me and some other officers get one guy, maybe about after maybe like a minute of chasing him. And then some other officers go and get the uh, other, the second person. When we finally get the first person into custody, I start walking back the route that he took to run from me. No more than 10 feet from where we put this guy in handcuffs, I find a loaded semi-automatic pistol. Now, mind you, I'm on a college campus. There aren't a lot of guns just lying around, right? Wait, what campus? No, sorry. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. And it wasn't in the... it, It was literally 10 feet from where this guy was in a fairly, you know, uh, well-traversed areas. Somebody would have seen that weapon had just been sitting there for days. The guy had a weapon on right? I didn't know that at the time that I pulled my my gun on me uh, when I pulled it out. But again, after we finally got this guy in custody, the dude had a weapon. And I just say all that to say is there's a lot of uncertainty when we go in certain calls. So sometimes you do see... And I pulled my weapon probably four or five times when dealing with a person and then a few other times where I'm going to clear a house. But again, once I recognize that, okay, this is not what I think it is, I put it away. See, but I think that's the difference though, is that people don't put it away. And it's like, now you are shooting at some kids who are running over and breaking into a stupid car when it's like, okay, yeah, they shouldn't have been breaking into the car and all that good stuff. But you know, shooting them or them getting away does not warrant them getting shot. And I think that's the problem is that like, it's, it's not like, okay, you know, it's five against one, like five dudes hop out the car and then ain't nobody going to question you about pulling your gun out and even firing. But, you know, it's five cops and one 16 year old kid, like who just robbed a candy store Right. And now all of a sudden it's this big old issue. And it's like, no, like, why did the gun have to come out? Like, you got hands, don't you? Like, y'all can't, y'all cops can't take this one person down without killing them. And I think that's yeah. the frustrating part is it's very clear that this person does not have a weapon. Like, they've done this crap with pregnant women. And it's like, no, there's, they have, there, was yeah. one, there was one in DeKalb County that I can remember. Um, the guy was butt naked. He was having a, a mental health issue. Um, I think he was. Uh, I think it was Anthony Hill. Oh, this was more recent, right? Yeah, it was probably within the last yeah. five six years. Uh, Anthony Hill. He uh, was former military, um, probably going through some type of PTSD. Again, completely naked, and, and they he, killed him. Yeah, child, officer, yeah. child. Um, and you think about those situations. It's like, and, and here, here's the thing. Officers amongst themselves, they're having these conversations all the time. They're calling people out. They're calling them like, that dude's a punk. He should have never been a cop. He was scared. He should have never been out there on the street doing what we do. Because, again, he got scared. But the issue is that under the law, under the case law, it allows you to articulate why you did something. And it allows a wide... It's a lot of... It's a really lateral way of informing the populace on why you did something and the law allows it. I tell people all the time when I'm looking at some of these uh, police shootings, uh, Tennessee versus Garner, these are Supreme Court cases. If you get a chance, read them, you'll understand why, or you'll understand when you see a shooting, what kind of factors people articulate to justify their actions. Tennessee versus Garner, and um, Graham versus Connor. These, they both deal with the use of force uh, as it pertains to what police officers can do or cannot do. 
And when you see these uh, shootings go to court, these are the court cases that they're citing. Hey, officer under this stat or, uh, you know, judge under this statute, this is why I did so-and-so. This is what happened. And I don't, I don't see a lot of this stuff changing until we start reviewing those things and adding some provisions, making some changes, looking at them differently. Um, because again, not every person who uses, who cites those court cases, in my opinion, not all of them are telling the truth. Some are, some genuinely are like, this is what happened. I have no reason to lie. It's on body camera. We have witnesses. I'm telling the truth. The, the, the evidence, um, you know, supports what I'm saying. However, there's some people out here who shot somebody and they got scared. They panicked and they used their weapon. And 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 the problem is that that's okay because they fear for their life. And right, it's right, like, right. okay, well, if we're going to be some, all the way honest, a lot of black men can beat up a whole lot of these cops if you take them one-on-one. So inherently, you will always fear for, you, for your life because you know you can't take them. So it's like, you should not be policing people that you're inherently afraid of. And that's the biggest problem and why there's always going to be this this uh, war that black people can't win because it's like, you're scared of me, so you can shoot me. The law gives you the it's right okay. to kill me just because you are afraid. Because I pose, right. I pose a threat to you, hypothetically. Right. I mean, no, but a real one because you can beat their ass. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like in their mind, well, technically you're bigger, stronger. So yeah, you could. You know what I mean? It's that that rationale. Well, that means you shouldn't be a cop or don't police in this area. Period. My uh, my my uh, one thing I want to kind of highlight is I don't think. Oh, uh, you said it earlier, actually, Rashida, that policing you need to go through a physical training and also a rigorous mental and social training. Like you need to be able to assess the situation as opposed to looking for we're listening to something earlier where uh, cops are trained to find a problem, essentially. Yeah. You're looking for a criminal. You're not looking for an individual. So if you come in with those with, the, with that lens on, I'm looking for a crim- criminal. Anything that can be out of place could be criminalistic. Like If the, you're looking for a criminal, you're going to find a criminal. Right. Yeah. So to, yeah. to your point, Andy, if I saw you in the parking day, I didn't know you. And with everything that's going on, I'm going to give you a sign out too. Like, here we go. He's trying to yell at something like, fuck. I'm like, like, look, real talk. I've been contemplating, like, should I just stay and get choked out or should I run? I'm pretty fast. I'm, I'm, I got a high chance. So it's like, I might run just on the strength of I got a better chance of living. I'm in okay. as hell, but I got a better chance of living, living if I run. Yeah. See, I'll I, I see you in court, bro. You're not, nah. You're not yeah. coming in with me. Yeah. I, one thing, um, I'm curious to see what happens with um in Louisville with the uh, settlement that they reached with Breonna Taylor's family. Um because a part of that settlement obviously it was a monetary piece, but then also the city agreed to all of these police provisions and reform tactics. Mm. So I'm curious to see what those actually are. I know the first one they said was they're they're no longer doing uh no not warrants. No not warrants um, you know and so now I'm wondering Okay, are are you gonna have health and fitness standards? Are you gonna have mandatory psychological? So that was something I noticed years ago. It was like, okay, they say I have to qualify with my weapon every year. I have to have in Georgia twenty hours of continuous training for the year. I have to take use of force every year. I have to take de-escalation, uh, community policing, all these. And these are fairly recent, passed probably within the last two or three years. But I was like, no mental evaluation, no drug screen, no, right. you know, none none of these other things. Because, yeah, all that stuff comes up when somebody, you know, uses their weapon. It's like, I prob- that person probably should have got dinged years ago. You yeah, know what I mean? We would have avoided this whole situation. And then the other aspect of this is we have to remove some of the things that we task police with doing. Yeah. You know, we're, we we have to sit here and think, and not necessarily us, but society. We mm-hmm. have to believe to do way more than we probably need to be doing. Or you know, are qualified to do. Yeah, or qualified to do. Like, I'm not a mental health expert, yet I have some training, baseline training, to recognize 
hopefully, that somebody is going through some type of mental health crisis. We literally deal with a large homeless population here in Atlanta, downtown and, you know, closer to my campus. And people have, they come around all types of, you know, issues, being bipolar, having schizophrenia, you know, manic depressant. And we have to recognize the difference between that and somebody actually being a threat to us. You know, you deal with uh, college kids who, you know, pop pills, they smoke weed. Um, weed don't make you crazy, though. If it's laced. If That's it's because people. If man, it's laced. PCP. PCP, you know, it happens. You know, there are just so many different things that the police are tasked with. You look at Eric Garner. What were the police doing with him? They were enforcing a rule for uh, the selling of loose cigarettes in New York. You know, you couldn't sell loose cigarettes because uh, tax revenue, the state wasn't getting the tax revenue that they would get when you sell, you know, cigarettes by the box. That's the only reason they were interacting with this guy. And he died as a result of that police interaction. You know, you can point to a number of different police encounters where you, I won't even talk about the issue. Let's just talk about the law in which they were operating under. Right. Why are police enforcing? Why are lawmakers passing these laws? That the police have to sit there and now enforce. And one Part of my issue is that I don't think a lot of these police unions talk about that part enough. You know, a lot of these police unions, you know, they're just, they don't care what the officer did. Their job is to back them. You know, it's, you know, that's, this just is what it is. They were perfectly right in their actions. We're going to defend them in court. But my question is, what would happen if all 500,000 of whoever are in the um, National Police Association, whatever it is, if they said, hey, lawmaker, Please remove this law from the book so that we don't have to enforce it anymore. Mm-hmm. Too many of our people are having to interact with people negatively. And it's not that big of a deal. Like, it, it literally is not that big of a deal. It could be handled some a different way. You know, right. whenever, wherever we show up, there's at least one gun. That's something we always talk about. Whenever a cop gets called to some, something, a gun is involved. And people don't like always seeing us there. It scares people. I get it. There's some some calls I go to. I'm like, why? Why am I being called to this? You know, we get calls where I'm at, too. And people, you know, it's, oh, the person doesn't look like they belong. Or the person is, uh, they're acting strangely. They're acting suspicious. Well, what's the bearing calls? Right. Yeah, we get those. Uh-huh. <laughs> we get those. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, well, why, why are we here? What are we here enforcing? And where I work, we do a pretty good job of trying to weed that out. Like, yeah, we're not going to respond to that. We're understanding the difference between an administrative policy and an actual law that needs to be enforced. You didn't pass on that call. I've literally been there like, yeah, um, okay. We 10 4. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it takes a, it takes an individual or individuals collectively to understand, you know, okay, I don't think this is what they think it is. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this is just some BS. We might just drive by to say, okay, yeah, I'm there. Five minutes later. All right, I'm gone. Didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. See, but the only way I think a lot of this stuff is going to change is if we have a way for these settlements to start hitting the uh, the the pensions or whatever for these police officers. Yes, like, that's what. Yes. Like, no, it should not be coming from taxpayers' money paying on a settlement. No, nope. y'all are. Yep. If they're held to a higher standard, they have to. Yeah, if they have to have some sort of you know repercussion. Then maybe you know yeah. it will let you your friend. Right. I'm, I'm, your yeah. friend who's a little too anxious, a little too jittery. Like, hold on, bro, stay in the car because I, I, I'm trying to have a situation. I retire in two years. Don't ruin that for me, though. Right, right, right. Let me talk to him. But right now, they literally have like no repercussions. No, no none. None. No accountability. Yeah, I think I mean, most most cities allocate a certain amount of money 
for settlement. For a fund uh, for I, that, correct? Yeah, like a general fund or something like that. I don't know if it's like backed by an insurance policy so they it's can recoup the money later. The bank. Yeah. The bank holds the bonds for those. Yeah, that, that's what I was reading. It was like a uh, some type of bond or something yep. like that. Um, and it's crazy because, you know, people literally put that in their budget. Knowing that something's gonna happen, you know, and it's like, all right. Instead of giving that money to school, yeah, could we get something that school? you know that is actually the real world? Right. Something you know, educators, right? So talk about this whole, you know, defund the police movement. Um, that was my next question, so thank you. Okay. Go ahead. No, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a buzzword that you know pisses a lot of people off because they essentially think of it as one way. Um, I understand the concept of what people are saying. My version of defund the police would be, all right, what is the police uh, department's annual budget? Okay. We've committed, you know, a hundred million to so-and-so police department. How much of that money can we commit to rectifying the problems that we keep causing police or calling police out to, right? If you have a homeless problem, Right. You're dealing with a lot of vagrancy, a lot of break-ins because homeless people trying to find, you know, somewhere to sleep. Can we take some of that money and put it towards a functional homeless shelter? Right. Um, right. You know, uh, a functional homeless program to get people back on their feet and back into society. Um, right. You know, if you're dealing with a lot of young people who are, you know, committing crimes and some of these young folks are smart because they know they're not going to go to jail. You know, they're just going to go to juvie. It's going to be a slap law. on the wrist. They know the law. So can right. we commit to some type of after-school programs? Can we open up more YMCA, more rec places so that, you know, people with all of this idle time uh, have, you know, somewhere to go, something to do when they're out of school, you know? Um, can we take school resource officers and take them out of the school and keep them in the parking lot? So that they can keep all the danger away from the the students on the inside. And not police no key. Exactly. Like that that's a whole that's another conversation. But again, why are we asking police to go into a classroom <laughs> where a young lady is on her cell phone? That's a police job? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a guidance counselor's job. Let's right. take some of that money and give it to and create more guidance counselor positions in schools and say, hey cops. We want you to make sure nobody's breaking into the cars outside. We want to make sure nobody's coming up here with a gun to try to take out these students. That's going to be your job. But we're not going to call you inside unless it's just, you know, something got past you and now we need you to deal with it. We're definitely not going to call you for behavioral issues. Right. We need to commit money for something else. So my concept of defunding the police is, all right, we're going to take some of these resources and put it to things that you're normally having to deal with. So now you can concentrate on the real crimes, the violent crimes, the reoccurring things, you know, that that have really a plague on our society. Not everybody's looking at it that way. And again, there are some people like, no, we don't want police at all. Get rid of them all. There's mm-hmm. a big push where I'm at um, to, you know, uh, take our weapons and defund us. And I'm like, well, can we pick one? You know, like what what are we doing here? But again, it's like I I understand it to a certain extent, but then I also don't think people realize exactly what we do on a daily basis. I I wouldn't I wouldn't dare say we don't need police. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's the answer. because uh, somebody might cops. But I think that it's like we have this crazy budget for war all the time please but we're like so low on education and obesity and like development like we have all these other problems so my my question is the police force is getting stronger and more uh equipped but the civilian life is suffering minimum wage is is steady take forever to go up uh, doctors, nurses, like the essential, not saying that cops aren't essential, but you all are essential for crisis. Things, yeah. The day-to-day things like the teachers, the, the, the daycare, um, the uh, uh, the nurses, these people that, that really have high stress every day, yeah. they need to be rewarded. They need pensions. They need things to make their job worth it more. 
And I'm not saying that you all don't put your lives at risk, but there's no there's no there's, balance. There's, not, there's, yeah. there's like <laughs> there's no there's no balance in that one whatsoever. There's no balance it's in not, it. There's very close. little accountability. Right. Um this yeah. was good, man. We are we're coming up on yeah, it's about to stop. So oh, dang, I have one more question. Um if you guys are down, man, this, this is really good <laughs> and I think this is gonna help a lot of people, man. Uh, I learned what 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 was your question, real quick? Well, it was it was um, being in law enforcement. You must have some sort of um, faith in the legal system. Still, what would you say to people who have completely lost faith in the legal system? Like, wh- where's the hope for for people who don't trust? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, on any given day, I happen to be one of those people. You know, uh-huh. sometimes when you see it up close, it's like, are you serious? You know, right. some I, I see it from both sides, right? I see something that to me is completely unjustified, but it gets justified in court. Or you might see one of your cases that you do, it's airtight, you've done everything you could possibly do, and it gets tossed out, either on technicality or because, you they know, know somebody. they know somebody, you yeah. know? It's like, really? That's what we're doing? Or you'll see one person get certain treatment, certain sentence, somebody else, different color, different background, they get a totally different sentence. Like, so it's the same crime. It's the same crime, same state, maybe even the same county. Like, wow. Okay. So I, I don't know what to tell people when it comes to the criminal justice system. I don't. I, you know, went to school to understand it a little better. I'm working in an environment where I'm seeing it every day. I don't know. I just don't have the highest hopes as it's currently constructed. I definitely think there's going to need to be, you know, something revolutionary to happen to the criminal justice system for it to be equitable for all. Mm -hmm. Um, First place you're going to have to start is the Supreme Court case law. Case Uh law is what governs pretty much everything that happens in this country. And until we get, you know, a fresh set of eyes on a lot of these cases um, and a lot of these rules that we have, nothing's going to change. It's just Uh old standards. Nothing's going to ever change, you know. But I do feel like people can take it upon themselves to try to be the thing. Like, I I can't operate in a world where I'm like, oh, well, I can't do nothing. It's like, I do think you can take it upon yourself to say, you know what, I'm going to be that district attorney that's going to be different. I'm going to be that police officer that's different. Yeah. I'm going to be that police officer that speaks up and like, yeah, that that may take longer, but I refuse to believe that there's like it's going to no. be what it is. Yeah. Like, even if you're, you're stopping one person from getting killed, that's enough. Or at least it's a start. It's worth the trouble. Yeah. I mean, what I... It was, uh, oh, like you were saying uh, on our first, uh, earlier, an interview that you, you haven't had any bad experiences with police. So that means you get something in uh, and, uh, oh, I end up. Now you can be that police officer that's, that interacts with people and people get to say, well, yeah, I've been stopped by a cop, but the cop, I said, yeah, he was right, cool. Right, right, you know, you can start to create that trend. I think of more people, not just yeah. police officers, people. Because I, I hate all cops except for you and Shadarian. And low key, I gotta I gotta check back in with Shadarian because I don't know what's going on with man. But <laughs> outside of y'all two that I know of, it's like I don't really, you know, so if I gotta stop, it's yeah. like I'm gonna do everything I need to do to not get shot or arrested outside of, you know, my uh control. But it's like I've had some bad run-ins and some good ones. But I know I don't want to put myself in a situation where I make I, a cop feels threatened. So I want to be that civilian that cops go, not all black people are bad. I, I remember I put up with this one guy. He had an Aleskin naked t-shirt and everything. But he was pretty cool. <laughs> Very knowledgeable. You know what I mean? So I want to be that guy. So a, a cop, whatever color or creed, because black cops are assholes too. Yes. I've seen you know, yes. yes. It's like they, they, they put on the blue and forget they're black. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's like, let me let me be an example as well, but yeah. you know all good deeds don't go answered. So, yeah, all we can do is try and in each one teach one. Uh, that's it for the day, guys. Man, thank, thank you, you guys so much. So much. Thank you. No problem. Um, when we get our dog, Rashida will see your pictures, so you can be jealous. <laughs> Enjoy your cat.
I want to I want to finish with this, man. I think with uh, in the words of Uncle Parker, and with great power comes great responsibility. I think mm. because we're all here. We all have the power, and we need to take responsibility and educate ourselves so that we can help educate others. Uh, thank you guys so much. This is dope. Till next time, guys. Till next Yo, time. Good. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. We'd like to invite you all to get naked with us and follow us on Instagram at The Real Let's Get Naked. You can also DM us any questions that you might have and we just might answer them on the podcast. Also, feel free to go to our website where you can ask us questions as well at StrongerTogetherProductions.com. This podcast was brought to you in part by On the Rise Media.